This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 4, Episode 27, Major Overhauls to Broken Stories. 16 and a half minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we have 90 seconds of advertising in the middle. I can't believe you actually used that. I'm <laughs> sorry, Audible. I'm um, Howard. Because I need an iPad. I'm Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan needs an iPad. Uh, this episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Selling Out. <laughs> is this the point at which we start over? No, no I think I we think just keep fine. going. I think we're fine because I'm gonna, I have a book that I really like that I'm going to pitch. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Major overhauls. This started as a podcast where we were talking about um, someone who asked us what to do when they realized halfway through their book that it was incredibly derivative. And um, our answer to that was essentially, well, go look at our podcast, which talks about how to steal like a thief and not get caught. Um, yeah. or make it an homage. Um, but it started us talking about this idea of major overhauls. This is one of the hard things to learn as a writer. And I've had to do it on several books. Dan just did it on a book. Dan, how did you know that the book needed a major overhaul? Well, um, because I have a very good writing group. And I ran it through this group, and they got to the ending and said, what? That's how it ends? At which point I said, aha, this ending is not working. The proper things have not been set up so that they don't pay off right the mysteries have not been properly revealed or solved okay so as alpha readers who let you know yes that it was broken um have you ever just known halfway through a book well, actually, to be fair, I did know that this one was broken going in, Okay. Uh, which is why I kept it to the writing group. Usually I'll send it out to many other alpha readers, and this mm -hmm. one I said, you know, I know what the problems are. I'm waiting for the writing group to tell me how to fix them. Okay. Howard, um, how do you recognize when something's broken? <sighs> you First of all, I have, a, I, have a, I have a much shorter uh, <laughs> time to market on what I write and what you read and so if an overall story is broken, mm -hmm. I've just failed in the magical performance art. That no, ha have you ever realized? But I have, through? no, I have realized, you know, halfway, three quarters of the way through a story that the plan I have is now going to fail if I attempt to execute on it because, right. because, because things have changed. And for me, um, I have to go. I have to go back, and I have to look at what I have delivered because everything I've already delivered has art attached to it, and I'm not going to redraw anything because I'm right. lazy. Or in some cases, it may already have been on screen. Oh no! It's, yeah, it's yes. aired. It's mm -hmm. aired. I, I'm yeah. not going to retcon the archives. Right. And so I will look very carefully at what has already aired, and find a way to find a way to make that work. And yeah. sometimes that means overhauling the ending. Uh, sometimes it means just going through and looking at all of the things that could possibly represent a promise made to readers, whether or not I thought it was a promise at the time, right. um, and find a way to tie that into a new ending. Do you rely on reader reaction for that? I, lately, lately, I've started uh, relying on... Uh, I've, I've got a writing group, right. and I will take them through the whole, you know, the first two-thirds of the book, mm -hmm. and then say, all right, help me identify, you know, reader promises, tell me what sorts of things would excite you, what sort of things would disappoint you right. uh, in an ending, um, and then I'm just going to sit down and write it because I'm not far enough ahead to hand them that yet. 
it's, I, that's, that's really fascinating to me because you've, you're in this special situation where essentially you've got half of it down and so you've got to rewrite what hap comes after comes after that to make it work special situation see and i usually am going back and fixing the beginning to make the ending i want work still work obligatory mm -hmm. luxury uh, <laughs> see i've um, oh, i wish i could do that you know i don't I um when i've noticed big things being wrong it's been one of several things either it's come from my editor or agent. Generally, they get a finger on it. Um, the writing group is generally, there's only been one or two instances I can think of where major overhauls have been noticed by the writing group first. Um, that's generally because it's my books are so enormously huge that it takes forever to get through a writing group with one. Mm -hmm. And so alpha readers are getting back to me first. Um, with me, it's generally I'm noticing it on my own as I'm writing by how passionate I am about given sequences or characters. If I write it and I'm not passionate, and then I reread through it and it just isn't clicking for me, that's when I know. That's how I identify. And it's happened several times to me where books have need, needed major overhauls yeah. for those reasons. You know, there was, there was a fairly recent uh, instance where I could tell that the plot needed to be moving faster. I, mm -hmm. needed to, I needed to cut to action more quickly. And so I scripted the cutting to action, and I had, I had illustrated some things. And then I was stuck, and I was stuck for like two weeks, and I was was blocked. Right. And writer's block for me, um, I've said in the past that I don't believe in it. I do believe in it, but uh, not in the same sort of way. Writer's block for me is my subconscious telling me you can't write the part you want to write because that's not what has to be written next. Mm -hmm. What has to be written next is you need to go back and fix this. Yeah. And in this case, what I did, I sat down with Sandra, and it was a I have to confess, it was a shouting match filled with profanity, all on my part. I was shouting and screaming and ranting, and she was listening very patiently. And I was furiously fuming. I have, so I have all patient. these strips laid out in front of me, and the problem is that I know that something has to be fixed, and I don't know what it is. And as we started reading it, we just started sliding the pieces of paper around, and finally I arrived at the fact that a Sunday strip, and I put a piece of paper down to represent that, needs to go right here, and it needs to do the following things. And Sandra's response was, okay, if a Sunday strip there does those things, then that'll work. But a Sunday strip all by itself can't do that. And that was the point at which I got to say, oh, I'm a professional cartoonist. I can make the Sunday strip do those things because that's what's required to fix the story. Right. But that session, uh, that was exhilarating and miserable at the same time. Now, listeners, you may be wondering why I spent the first half of this podcast talking about identifying the problem. And that's because, um, well, you can't fix it until you know something's wrong. Yeah. And new writers have a lot of trouble with this. I say this because I know I had a lot of trouble with this. I know that... Um, that my writing group, people in it, had a lot of trouble with this. Actually identifying what was wrong takes a lot of effort. Um, writing triage, it takes a lot of practice to learn. Um, and oftentimes you're gonna identify the wrong thing. And it's gonna be frustrating because you have to try the wrong thing several times until it works. Um, and so if you're a really new writer, this is not really the, a podcast for you. Your job is just to keep writing. You're not gonna be able to identify yet what's wrong and what's not wrong. Oh boy, I phrased that in a weird way. You're just not going to be able to. Your job is to write and to get used to writing, get used to constructing characters and plots so that it all works out. I've, I've shared this before. When I was studying audio engineering, 
um, we used to say that you know, as an audio engineer sitting at the console, the producer who's standing behind you and listening to the mix, the producer always knows when there's a problem, never knows how to fix it. Mm -hmm. And as, as new writers, or sometimes as, as alpha readers, we're like that. We know right. when there's a problem, we don't know how to fix it. The, the, real, the real challenge comes in when you're the engineer sitting there right. turning knobs, trying to figure out how to make it sound right. Well, and writing practice is what teaches you how to yep. be able to fix things. Um, I even worry about really new writers having writing groups at all um, yeah. and ruining their writing or telling them to fix things when they really shouldn't be fixing things. They should just be writing and learning the craft. Yeah, I think that, I don't want to digress, but uh, if you're going to join a writing group as a brand new writer, the writing group should exist to motivate you to write a lot. Right. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. Let's, um, let's do our book of the week. Howard, you um, previewed us by saying I that you love this I told you that book. I was going to tell you about a book that I really like. It's The Warded Man by Peter Brett. Uh, it's available on Audible. Um, I loved this book because it had stand-up and cheer moments in it that were not the epically heroic, you know, uh, lone warrior against uh, a million demons sorts of stand-up and cheer moments. They were the sorts of things that I, as a reader, I, as a person with a, you know, 21st century lifestyle could relate to. They were, they were triumphs of character. They were triumphs of you know, courage in the face of small pettiness. Mm -hmm. And I just, I thought it was brilliantly done. The overarching setting, the, the fantasy, the fantasy setting and all that is wonderful. Um, but what really made that book work for me were the people who were in it. And so go to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your 15, 15 day free trial and check out The Warded Man by Peter Brett. And then Dan can buy a new iPad. <laughs> All right, Dan. Direct result. <laughs> That's right. You click on that link. Dan gets an iPad. Woohoo! Um, all right, Dan. Uh, you found out that your story was broken. Um, what did you do to fix it? Well, uh, again, as I said, the main thing that I noticed, that, well, I knew it was broken. But then watching the writing group's reaction showed me where it was broken, which was primarily the ending is not being paid off properly and the mystery is not being set up properly. And so I went back through, I did kind of what Howard said, where I rearranged a bunch of chapters and said, well, the information's not coming out in the right order. Let's try it this way and see if it works. And wrestled with this for weeks and finally just one day realized holy crap, I need an extra character in this. And this is what we mean by major overhaul. I needed to add an all-new character in to several mm -hmm. of the scenes in order to make all of this stuff work, in order to set up the right kind of stuff to give the character someone, the right person to talk to in these instances and had to go back and write several new chapters and change several of the other chapters so that this new character could be in there and make the now, story Let me function. ask a question here. When you rearranged stuff, when you were shuffling things around, 
what was the actual process? Were you just moving, changing the order of chapters in a Word document, or did you spread pieces of paper out as representative elements and push them around on a flat surface somewhere? For this particular book, I had created a paragraph, a chapter-by-chapter -chapter outline, each chapter being a paragraph, and I took those, um, updated them slightly because my outline always changes by the time it turns into a book, and so that I had these little chunks of chapter, and I moved those around actually just in a Word in document. An electronic file. Okay. And okay. looked at them and said, okay, well that means if this information is coming out here, then that will work much more effectively. What does that mean? What's the fallout from that? What do I have to do in chapters two, three, and four now that I've changed the yeah. chapter one and figured out how that would shake down? I've, um, one of the things I've learned as I've become more of a professional writer across my career is that during a given draft of a book, I can only focus on so many things. Um, and it's frustrating to me. Uh, part of me wants to be able to just learn to do it right the first time. And so, but I just can't. I give lessons. Yeah. I, <laughs> um, I just can't. I can't do everything right the first time. And on a first draft, there are certain things I'll go into it knowing I need to fix. Yeah. Um, oftentimes, the things we're talking about are the things I didn't know I would need to fix when yeah. I started that first draft. And the way I approach it when I need to do one of these things is I sit down and say, okay, this draft is really going to focus on X. It's really going to focus on fixing this character. Major yeah. overhauls for me are usually character-based. This character isn't working, either he's not interesting, or he's not, um, his internal conflict is not working, something is wrong. And so I will get a list of bullet points. I'll brainstorm ideas of how to fix this character. Usually it means adding new um, subplots, or it means ripping out subplots and adding new ones. Sometimes it means rewriting the character's entire philosophy and scope and look at life. And then I will go scene by scene with that character and reread the scene, changing as I go, and often twice in a row, and then the next one twice in a row, and the next one twice in a row, just beginning to end um, fixing that character. Wow. So, you know, earlier, uh, before we started recording, you mentioned that you've got like 16 edits, uh, 16 editorial drafts. Of, yeah. Is it Towers of Midnight? I probably, we probably don't have time for 16. I'll probably do three or four big drafts over the next couple of weeks. Um, couple meaning six. So, yeah, um, that's going to so be... So 16 meaning three or four and a couple meaning six. Yeah, <laughs> Authorial know. math. This yes. is awesome. Yeah. Um, I will have to go in with, you know, several big major things. But you're going to make fixed. four passes, three to four passes in the next six weeks on... 350,000 words. Yeah, give me best of luck to me, right? No, what's amazing is that if I sit down to read a 350,000 word book, I'm lucky to read it in a week. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's a lot of work. Um, fortunately for me, revision is something I can do large amounts of time in a given day. Um, and writing new material I can only do a little bit of in a given day. I can, well, not a little bit, but, uh, you know, the well runs dry. Revision, um, I can force myself on. The other thing to keep in mind is that when you finished the first draft of Towers of Midnight, you did not finish it and say, oh, this manuscript is broken and just needs to be overhauled. You finished it knowing that, yeah, the book's 
the book's ready for incremental processes. Yep, theoretically, step by step though. I always imagine things like this, you know, it's like sculpting a, um, I've said this before, making a, making a sculpture. We're knocking off pieces mm -hmm. um, bit by bit. So, so give me a specific example, Brandon. I know, for example, that in Elantris, um, at the editing stage, you had to knock out an entire character. That was easy because it was a character. The reason the character needed to be knocked out is because of the three-quarter marks, I introduced a new villain um, mm -hmm. who distracted from the main um, process. Yeah. And so going through and just cutting that villain was actually not very hard at all because it... it because part of the problem yeah. was it didn't relate enough yeah, anyway? exactly. Okay. Um, much more difficult was fixing um, the second Mistborn book, which had major... Um, plotting issues, and in that case, I had to um, I had to find a way to step up the plot to make it more action, um, give more action, more sense of um, of danger and of threat. And so, in that case, I had to. Um, if you've read the Mistborn books, I had I actually added most of the concept of the siege um, mm, yeah. later on in the drafting process. I hadn't completely finished the book, but the the entire the siege of the of the city became the focus of the book it's the big climax of the book and all these things that didn't start as what the book was going to be about um, the book started the whole philosophy of the book is you've won now what how do you rule a, a kingdom that's much harder than knocking one down and um, and that became the opening premise right and but the, the but actual... that was that was boring. It was yeah. actually boring. Ruling a kingdom <laughs> is pretty boring. Well, but what you've just described there is uh, th that's in many ways the way the cinematic three act format works. Yeah. Is that we have our opening premise, and then halfway through the first act, you realize, and eh, that's not really what this is about. It's bigger. Um, so, Dan, any last words for our person who started us on this? Something other than go listen to a, a one of our other podcasts, which I, I didn't mean to say dismissively. Um, mm -hmm. One of our readers has, halfway through their book, realized that they're very derivative. What would you counsel them to do? I would say go back, read through what you've read, read through your notes, figure out what it is that you really like um, about the elements you, you have inadvertently stolen from something else and what elements you don't necessarily need, and then figure out how you can change them. What, what can you add to it? What can you go back through? Is it a slightly different magic system? Is it a, a, a different character, a different conflict? Something else that you can add in to that and make it your own. All right. Um, I, oh, Howard. Oh, I was just going to say, if, if it's a derivative setting, uh, keep all your dialogue, keep all your characters, rip the setting out from under them, throw in a new setting, and see how much of your dialogue and character you can keep. Yeah. If your characters and your dialogue is derivative, um, you're in a world of hurt, because yeah. that's a lot if of work. If your main character mm -hmm. is it, it turns out you've accidentally made a dark elf re resisting his culture, and he fights with a pair of, um, of you know, hand axes instead of a pair of scimitars, and that's your, that's your only that's your, original your token thing. Maybe, 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 you can, yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe you can swap him out for a you know, plucky but lovable rogue. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before this goes any further, I'm going to end it and give you a writing prompt. Okay. Writing prompt this week is to take a story that you have written before um, and take one throwaway comment or throwaway concept somewhere in that story. Find something that you didn't mean to be important at all, and I want you to instead rewrite that scene, rewrite that chapter, so that that, that idea becomes the major focus of it, and see what happens. Cool. All right, this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. 
They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.